0: Hello, I'm Somi Ariane. I'm a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. My guest on today's podcast is Amanda Kassat the founder and CEO of Serotonin, which is a leading marketing agency and product studio. Amanda is also co-founder and president of Mojito, the first venture to spin out of Serotonin. Most importantly, Amanda has written an awesome book on Web3 marketing, which you should be able to purchase by the time this episode is released, as we did the interview before the book hit the market. This was such an awesome interview that I'm sure you will get a lot out of. So let's dive right in. Amanda. thank you so much for coming in to do this interview today. You also did an excellent session on our platform. That was like one of the best uh, sessions that we've had on anything to do with Web three marketing. I, I guess first things first. I wanted to ask you about: Do you feel like uh, maybe AI has stolen our thunder in Web three? <laughs> do you see what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> like, like you know, it used to be that people would talk a lot about. Web3 and, and I see that everybody in Web3 is also talking about AI um, and uh, I wonder if it's stolen our, our thunder a little bit. What's the state of Web3 marketing in uh, in this market right now?
1: Well, Somi, thank you so much for having me on and it was wonderful to do the session with uh, with your platform and to get to also talk about my book, which is about to come out on April 4th, Web3 Marketing, first Web3 business book from a major publisher. I personally am super excited about AI. At Serotonin, uh, the firm I started after um, serving as the chief marketing officer of Consensus and helping bring Ethereum, Consensus, MetaMask, Infura, Truffle, a ton of other products to market. We are actually about to publish a report focused on how marketers can use AI. And these aren't just crypto or Web3 marketers. It's about how people doing PR, people working on content and blog post writing, people working on decks, people creating visual brands and imagery can start to leverage these super powerful tools. And so I actually think it all goes together. It's no surprise to me that many of the same people that are excited about how Web3 is transforming the value underpinnings of our increasingly digital lives that we're also really excited about having intelligence that we can access and deploy toward tasks that can make our lives better and more efficient. And so I I, I was a really early user of ChatGPT. I was so impressed by the difference between the GPT-3 and the GPT-4 model. I've been, we've been using um, Midjourney and other stable diffusion AI Uh, for creating visual imagery uh, for for a while now. And uh, yeah, I think these things all go hand in hand. I think there's so many cool intersections with blockchain and crypto, even beyond our scope as marketers. For example, one of the biggest problems in DeFi is code audits and the idea of AI automated code audits to check smart contracts for bugs and to be able to assure a potential user that the code's been audited by these, you know, incredible AI intelligences that are specialized at those functions, I think that could have a huge impact.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So tell me a little bit more about the book. You said that it's, um, uh, who, who is the publisher? Wiley.
1: Okay, nice. So it, it's actually a really funny story. So an acquisitions editor at Wiley reached out to me last spring saying, we're gonna acquire a book on Web3 marketing. We came to you first based on your background to write it, but if you don't wanna write it, we'll ask someone else. (laughs) And so I'd spent seven years since I started getting into Ethereum in 2015, um, building this um, brand for myself at the intersection of Web3 and marketing. And I felt that suddenly I either had to write a book about it or someone else was going to come and occupy my lane. (laughs) <laughs> and I think it forced my hand in the way that I really needed in order to make my dream of writing a book about my experience actually come to life. I wrote it pretty quickly over the summer, um, got got a manuscript over to the publisher. I'd been thinking about the same thing for seven years. And so it, it really kind of flowed. Um, the, the first part of the book is historical. It's a history of Web 1, Web 2, Web 3 The origins of Bitcoin, Ethereum, DAOs, DeFi, NFTs, the metaverse that is non technical. Anybody who understands the internet can understand that part of the book. And the goal is to really describe that history and describe those tools so that anybody can use them, regardless of whether they're a computer scientist or an engineer or a software developer. Because that's the most important thing. And then once those tools are in your toolkit, then it's about the tactics and the history of what's actually worked in the past and what we think is going to work in the future. And so the final third of the book delves into those case studies and makes recommendations about how to think about actually building your own marketing department and how to do marketing in Web3.
0: Will there be an audio version of the book? Because I'm more of a... Yes, there will be a release
1: on Audible and also on kindle and did you read it yourself did you narrate it yourself i wanted to um but the publishing industry is a funny place turns out that the publisher subcontracted the audio to a firm that uses professional readers they they allowed me to help select which reader would read the book which was fun it was interesting hearing audio clips from a bunch of folks um, personally i enjoy um audio audible books especially when it's the author reading them but unfortunately I didn't get that opportunity that's interesting
0: you know I've written a book about the future of work and I got somebody else to do the audio partly because I have an accent and also it's actually very hard it's very very time-consuming I try to do it myself but you need to be coached properly to do it and it's very time-consuming to do it yourself but uh, you're right, it's always something else when the author does their own audio um, because you can you have that sense of connection uh, a lot a lot more, especially if somebody that does a lot of public speaking and you know their voice and, and it's mm-hmm. kind of weird when you hear somebody else. So well, I think you... your accent
1: yeah. sounds great and that you're reading your own book makes a lot of sense because you know kind of what to emphasize.
0: Yeah, that's right, right. Yeah. I found it at the time I was like super busy and it was, I found it really hard. I kept trying it and it just didn't come out really well. So totally. I somebody else. So what was your inspiration um, behind getting into, uh, you know, building a, a web three marketing agency? How is web three marketing different? Would you say?
1: When I was building the first web three marketing team at Consensus, when I was chief marketing officer, I really thought the best marketing team is a hybrid of full-time staffers and external agencies. And I wasn't able to find any external agency partners that understood Web3. And so I knew that after my time at Consensus was over, I had this opportunity to start a firm to take the best practice that my teammates and I had built from doing a lot of the first token launches, marketing a lot of the first Web3 projects, helping bring to market Ethereum, Consensus, et cetera. So the next generation of L1s, L2s, Web3 utilities, DAOs, DeFi, NFTs, and a lot of those folks came with me to start Serotonin. Um, And a lot of our teammates have been working together now for over seven years. When I was trying to hire marketers, a lot of them came with these Web2 skill sets that were kind of boring. Uh, Managing these big paid campaigns on the various meta, then Facebook business suites, Um, just managing spend on these big social platforms. And at the time, you actually weren't allowed to use crypto keywords, Ethereum, Bitcoin, crypto, on any paid campaigns. You couldn't put money behind any ad that had any of those words in it. So we were actually stricken and banned from even using those platforms. So the skill sets of most marketers were totally irrelevant to what we were doing. So we had to return to the growth hacker, more creative roots of marketing in order to reinvent it for Web3 because of these artificial bans. And the fun part is we were able to um, bootstrap the growth of Web3 without paying the piper of Web2. Um, And I realized thinking about this, that Web2 marketing is really an arbitrage between the cost of acquiring a customer And the total value that that customer is going to provide to the platform over their lifetime lifetime customer value and that arbitrage takes place on these third-party platforms like google ads like the various meta business suites and you have to pay these third parties over and over you get addicted in order to continue spinning the flywheel of growth and getting revenue into your business and retargeting your own audience and in web3 what's really different is not only is there less emphasis on using those platforms, it's about building an incentive alignment mechanism, building the holding tank for a community and then solving the zero to one problem of attracting that early community, plugging them into that incentive system and then decentralizing control over to them so that they're motivated to continue growing the project themselves. Uh, which is a way more sustainable approach to marketing and growth over time than building this giant centralized marketing team and continuing to pay this external piper.
0: I was going to ask you about uh, how sustainable you think it is. I think that um, I'm I'm kind of worried a little bit that maybe that sounds good now, but as the space grows, it may not be sustainable. I worry about that. And and I'd love to hear your thoughts on, you know, when you think of something like Blur. What do you think of their marketing mechanism? Like, is is that really sustainable? Uh, My worry is a lot of times uh, because of the, because of people's enthusiasm around the token, that Mm -hmm. it it can be gamed, it can be, uh, you know, farmed, and you don't know really what degree of those audiences are actually going to stick around.
1: So what I focus on in my book is that these Web3 tools are tools, they're mechanisms, and different projects are going to use them well to achieve their ends, and some of them are going to use them poorly to achieve their ends, and also different project ends are going to be different. And so the idea of launching a token by retroactive distribution, for example, um, doing something similar to what Blur did, that might either be structured in a way that works for a project to accomplish its goals, or it might not. So you've seen examples of projects um, launch tokens and not save enough ammo for later because they might need tokens later in order to continue providing incentives to grow the network. So you've seen projects make that mistake. Um, You've also seen projects um, make the mistake of waiting too long to launch a token or not launching a token and not finding that mechanism to drive incentive alignment with their community. And, and really isolating kind of or, or alienating Web3 natives by not actually using the, the Web3 native mechanisms to incentivize people. So both sides of the same coin. I think something like Uniswap did a wonderful job with its retroactive distribution. Something like ENS did a wonderful job. I think Blur, we'll see. It's an interesting product. Um, I think it serves a really interesting demographic that wasn't being served before, which is pro traders of NFTs. Other marketplaces like OpenSea weren't really serving the pro trader use case. And as long as they offer the best product for those users, and as long as those users exist and are actively trading, and that might vary in market conditions, and I think Blur has a, a fighting chance. But that, that doesn't mean that there aren't all kinds of projects doing it wrong. Um, an, an example of a product doing it right an NFT community is really World of Women, um, which is one of our clients and partners. You go into that community, you go inside of their channels, you look at the quality and the nature of engagement and participation. And it's just incredible. You see how that community turns up for their events. You see the tone and the motivation of of the people that are participating. And and you can tell that that's something that's going to have legs over time. Whereas you go into the community of, you know, one of the now defunct um, NFT collections that was, uh, that had less Um, mission and ideological heft to it. Um, That that was really just trying to make a buck. You go in there, everyone's just asking, when's the token going to drop? You know, when are you going to announce something that's going to increase the token price? And it's not a surprise. A lot of those projects went bust.
0: Tell me a little bit about Mojito. What is Mojito?
1: Totally. Um, So we started Serotonin in 2020. And we quickly became the largest web three marketing firm. And we expanded into Web2 to Web3 business transformation, and we expanded into recruiting. And we were growing really fast. We were making all this cash, and we thought, why don't we reinvest this cash into growing our business faster by creating scalable software products? And we realized that with all of our service area touching Web3 companies, as well as Web2 businesses and traditional businesses getting into Web3, That we have an unfair advantage being able to identify missing products that folks would use if only they existed. The first one we identified from our work with CAA and Sotheby's was that big brands wanted to sell NFTs and other Web3 digital goods on their own owned websites instead of partnering with third party marketplaces, which makes total sense. Sotheby's has Sotheby's wines, uh, Sotheby's cars, uh, Sotheby's handbags, and they expect to sell those items on their own website. They don't, you know, push out everything to Amazon. You can buy Chanel on the Chanel website, or you can buy Chanel on a third-party website. But it's not like they've abandoned having their own website. In fact, they put a lot of emphasis on having a beautiful uh, website that they control and a beautiful e-commerce platform. So we built Mojito. To solve that problem, it's an API-driven um, e-commerce infrastructure that allows any kind of brand or creator
0: to sell NFTs on their own site and to control the whole process 360. Yeah, I I can see how uh, that can be super helpful. I, actually, I also today I uh, I interviewed the. CEO of uh, Rarible, who are also trying to do something like that, right? Offering um, some kind of a white label solution for, for people wanting to have their own marketplace. But what you're talking about is not a marketplace, it's more like an e commerce. So, exactly. more web. So, it's the back end. Yeah.
1: Exactly. So, what I think the, the future is going to be the open seas of the world, maybe the blurs of the world, kind <laughs> of being like a an Amazon or an eBay, and then you're also going to have the Salesforce of the world. You're going to have the Shopify of the world. Things that are backend tooling that enable every single store that sells goods to start selling Web three goods, and that's where I think we're going. In Mojito, um has incredible customers already, uh, powering all of Sotheby's Sotheby's has its whole web three platform called Sotheby's metaverse now, um, powering CAA and their, their talent, um, great partners like the Milwaukee box, um, powering, you know, over 120 million in sales over the platform. It's been just incredible. And so we, felt so good about our first spin-out, we we raised 20 million into it in 2021 um, from some really great investors uh, that we decided to do it again. And so we learned once again that there was a product missing in the market um, and we built Franklin. And we're just actually about to announce the fundraise into Franklin. Um, our VP of finance, Megan Knob, who's one of the most experienced crypto finance people I've ever met, spun out to become its founder and CEO. And it's hybrid crypto and cash payroll so that Web3 startups can start paying their
0: teams in crypto from their treasury. That's really cool. I, I actually pay some of our um uh, members in uh, or team members in, in crypto, and it's, it's a nightmare trying to. Do
1: I would it. love to introduce you to the Franklin team because it's actually the only and the first tax compliant platform for paying your team in crypto.
0: Very cool, very cool. Um, how do you see the crypto NFT, especially NFTs, continuing to shape the industries because of the bit of a bad rap that we got uh, during the past uh, you know months uh, and, and past year? Um, it's kind of a shame because it's such an interesting technology. Like, for example, on our platform, we've built this, this infrastructure where we can simply, uh, we, are, we are now going to be enabling from 7th of April, where any uh, community can have their own channel and then they can uh, collaborate with other communities just by adding them from a drop-down menu and this is possible because of the smart contracts because in our back end we've added the smart contract of all these uh, communities so that's why Mm -hmm. for example real vision now is using the platform and uh, for example they just had world of women and all they had to do is just like from a drop-down menu choose world of women and world of women galaxy and uh, Mm -hmm. that meant that uh, and real vision and that meant that that event is now token gated for those two communities, and now they can collaborate and they can do things. They can ha- now have you know full day workshops, you know, like all, all sorts of things that they can do, and um, all of this is possible because of NFTs. It's, it wouldn't be possible without them. So, um, but but trying to explain this to creators um, and uh, to people who are not in Web three. It's just like I, I I get sometimes I when I reach out to, you know, certain YouTubers, people who are in AI communities, you know, and and I want to invite invite them on the platform. They're like, this is really interesting, but I don't want to be associated with uh, Web three. Basically, Web three has a marketing problem now, and you're a marketing person. How do we solve that? <laughs> <laughs> well.
1: I think it's a decentralized movement. And so the idea that any one person can solve it is wrong. However, um, what we can all do is produce products that are honest and in good faith and be really clear with our customers about what the risks are using our products um, and publish roadmaps for our products that we actually plan to fulfill against uh, and weed out bad actors in our space instead of waiting for regulation to come down or enforcement to come down against companies or projects that are bad, self-policing as a community and calling out when we think that projects are low quality or pursuing you know, bad business ethics. In, in, in the early days of the internet too, you saw a lot of scammers. You saw a lot of people trying to make a quick buck. And sadly, the early internet earned a bad reputation after uh, the, the, the first bubble Uh, Bust, you know, pets.com collapses and you get headlines saying the internet might be a passing trend, or you get major economists saying the internet might have the same impact at the end of the day as the fax machine. And whenever we go through a bust cycle in crypto, that's people's opinion. And then when we go through a boom cycle, everyone's excited again. And so I think it's important for the sanity of people in the space to remember that it is cyclic. It always has been, and it will come back. And that the best thing we can do is offer things that are high quality and and self-police our own community. That being said, the use cases that you're talking about are non-correlated with crypto markets. It's just an actual NFT use case that you can gate an event with an NFT and use that to collect really high quality data. And in order to reward people, in order to build community, in order to engage better with your users. And so I think we're going to see a lot more of these non-correlated use cases, and they may or may not brand themselves as being Web3 or NFTs. They may just be, this is a membership card. This is a rewards point system. This is how you access this event. This is how you can claim um, some value that's being sent to you as a reward.
0: That's very true. You know, one of the issues uh, right now in Web3 is that... um, it's quite insular and we, uh, we've we got a bit of an echo cham- chamber we are not we're not really talking to the outside world um and um i don't want to name names but there are um certain communities that i'm part of uh, that i've been you know a holder for for quite some time and it's just quite draining when you go into the the uh, the discord the communities you know that the all everybody's talking about is the the floor price and you know where where we are right now. And it just I worry that we're we're kind of wasting this great um, technology um, and and not really um, pushing it forward. You know, what what do you think could happen if we don't reach out to um, you know and, and, and educate the rest of the uh, the market? Because you know one of the questions I had, what would you say to people who are look, who are in Web2 looking co- to come into Web3? But to be honest, how many people are really looking to come into Web3? I wonder if that is directly correlated with the price of crypto and, and if the price goes up, then pe- more people are wanting to come in, but then that's kind of for the wrong reasons.
1: <laughs> well, so here's what I think happens. I think um, there'll be a wave of activity. There'll be price activity, Then there's more investment in Web3 companies. Then there's more hiring by Web3 companies. Then there's more news about Web3. And a combination of those factors reaches professionals that perhaps didn't know about it before and motivates them to get excited about it. And you see value flowing from fiat into crypto, into Bitcoin, into Ethereum, into NFTs, all kinds of other things. But the most interesting long-term store of value and value transfer into crypto is professional skill sets. So we're starting to see more and more professionals get up to speed on Web3, get excited about it. And then when the market pulls back, not all of them, but the plurality of them stay. And so it's like waves that wash up shells on the seashore. And each time there's a wave, we get more shells, more shells, more shells. And those people define their careers around being in web three, they dig in their heels and they commit a huge portion of the time. And that's going to be what keeps driving Web three forward. And that was a big motivation for me to write my book, because I think that web three isn't accessible to people without technical skill sets. And that's why it can seem scary. It can seem forbidding, but actually our space has so many opportunities for people with all kinds of different skill sets. And what are the chances that the small percentage of marketers, for example, who already are working in Web3 are the best marketers in the business? No, statistically, the chances are that the best of us still aren't in the space. And what's going to drive the space forward is attracting those people to our movement, onboarding them so we can have more bats at excellent strategies and excellent performance 100
0: one of the ways that i personally see i can contribute to bringing more people into the space is by focusing on creators you know i'm like thinking about um you know with our platform we're uh, making it easy for web2 creators to come in as well and uh, enabling both of the possibilities and then show them what are some of the things that are possible to do with tokens that they couldn't do otherwise and you know and and kind of introducing them to that um uh to that technology as well um there when i think about the use cases of um uh, of tokens for building a business there are three main ones that uh, come to mind one is Art, of course, that's got its own problems with the whole conversation around, you know, royalties. The other one is there are these PFP projects that you could say they're essentially more like a Kickstarter campaign. So it's like Mm -hmm. you're you're basically selling these NFTs to start a business. And then mm-hmm. give give something back to your uh, audiences or, or your, your holders. And then the um the third one, which I think is very much of a question mark right now, is for creators who need um subscription models. They need they need mm-hmm. recurring revenue. First of all, do you agree with what I just said with those three use cases? And and am I missing something? And of course, there's the loyalty, right? So loyalty, right. yes,
1: that's what I was gonna say. I was going to say membership. Right. Programs Mm -hmm. and loyalty or rewards programs are gonna be huge. Um, For example, loyalty or rewards, there are all kinds of GDPR style restrictions on storing personal data that make it a lot easier to have a blockchain-based CRM or database of your users that also records all of their past use without necessarily storing any of their identity information. So that can be a huge benefit to companies looking to do something that looks as simple as airline miles um, instead of having that stored on servers, which can also be hacked or compromised. Uh, So I think we're gonna see a ton of that. I think the membership stuff is really cool too, where we get to see things at Serotonin sometimes before they come out because we start working on it. We're gonna see some really cool membership stuff launching And the the motive here is, let's say you're a restaurant um, that wants to start a member's program um, that guarantees you a table, or let's say that you're um, a hotel that's starting a club or whatever it is that requires a membership, people are willing to pay more for that membership if it's an NFT because they're parking the capital rather than consuming the capital, because at least in theory, they could flip out of it if they don't need it anymore by selling it to somebody else. And if I feel that if I buy a membership for $100 and I'll never get that back, maybe I'll be more circumspect about spending the $100. If I know that if I decide I don't like the membership anymore, I could just sell it and get my $100 back. It's a no-brainer to buy it. Uh,
0: Of course, you don't always get it back. Sometimes you may get a little bit of it back. Of course, you might be wrong.
1: You might be wrong. It might go down in value. It might go up in value. Totally. But the mentality is that you could whether it goes up, whether it goes down, whether it stays consistent, that you could resell it much more easily um, than, than something that you can't resell because there exists a secondary liquid market. Like it's very, there, there's no real liquid market for reselling some kind of digital membership that exists outside of Web3.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, really frictional. And so I think we're going to see a lot of these rewards programs and a lot of these memberships. And other than that, um, I think I think you've covered it. Um, I think, you know, in terms of, I think they're also the things you described blend a little bit. So if you look at NFT now, for example, um, then they're, they're a a company that we work with, uh, they just sold out their, um, now pass, which really demonstrated, um, the enthusiasm their community has for their product. They made over a million dollars in 48 hours, 1730 unique wallets, um, bought the pass with a lot of super notable holders and yes that revenue will i'm sure be used to power the operations of the business um uh, but it wasn't their original fundraising event right um they'd already raised funds they'd already uh built their product gotten product market fit already built a community um and so partly for fundraising, partly for subscriptions, partly for access, partly for rewards. Um, And so what what they're bringing to market is really a blend of all those use cases. And I think we're going to see a lot of really successful blends, especially when there is a
0: product in question that people want. That's right. Yeah. So for example, we are looking to potentially have um, a PFB that will become um, like a membership of the platform for the first because the platform membership will be something that's like ongoing, right? Like it will be subscription model, but for the first, say 5,000 people, or for the first 2,000 people, they will get maybe a lifetime pass or, or something that is like, you know, more unique that they can, like you say, you know, that they can sell if they want, or, or if they want to keep it, they keep it. But it's, it's a great instrument for building that early adopter community. Um, the challenge that comes with it, we are seeing this now is that when there is a bull market and the prices go up, people sometimes buy when it's going up because of FOMO. And, and then um, when there is a bear market and the prices go down, people feel like they are, um, you know, that, that they've lost money. So, so that's one of the issues that um, comes with it. I think selling out in a bear market is a good idea. Um, saying out in a bull market is a difficult one because then you end up with uh, thousands of holders that, that maybe feel like they've lost money.
1: Yeah. So what we always say is when the market is down, it's like driving a car with a low suspension. You can feel every little rock and every little stick in the road. And it's a great way to get in better touch with the road, get better, more granular feedback from your target market, from your users. And you have an opportunity without that cushioning to achieve better product market fit such that your product can be optimal for when we go back into the bull market. And so so bear markets are the time to get product market fit. Bull markets are the time to scale up selling your product and building your community. The other thing we say a lot is we talk a lot about the importance of early community. So we compare early community to a spaceship. Aliens arrive, they put down a ladder somewhere on earth, 20 people wherever they put down their ladder get on their spaceship, then the spaceship flies off and they're stuck with those 20 people forever. Um, That's your early community. In the beginning, you have control as a founder over who you invite into your community, and then those people set the tone, and the nature of their engagements is going to make subsequent potential community members decide whether they want to be a part of it or not. And so if it's a face-melting bull market, and you get a bunch of moon boys up in there who are saying, when moon, and who don't care about contributing to the project, who aren't mission or values aligned with the project, um, then... They're going to put off uh, potentially better fit or higher quality contributors that you might want later. So you got to be really careful about who those people are and and building your early community thoughtfully. Because once it gets to a certain size, you lose control. It just is what it is.
0: So uh, final question: What what sort of trends do you see um, coming up in the the thing is this space moves so fast that uh, you know we could talk about something and like next week something comes on and 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 changes everything but um you know we've seen a number of trends there was like free mints application nfts you know uh not paying royalties you know like there's been all sorts of different different trends that has happened um do you see any kind of major trends coming up in the space right now like from where you stand are there like early signs of interesting things happening that we might need to be aware of
1: yes totally and I think that what's going to bring us into the next bull market is a combination of things there's probably going to be some kind of institutional thing there was last time there will like like with Michael Saylor putting Bitcoin on the balance sheet there will be some kind of you know um guerrilla event like the Medicoven 69 million dollar sale of the of the Beeple nft and how that kicked off nfts and there will be genuine innovation uh in web3 like uh defi like the the innovation around yield farming liquidity mining and those those variables in common paired with macro conditions paired with um being in the right spot in the bitcoin having cycle all all those things together um, work together to pull us into the next um positive cycle and better market conditions the innovation part is the most interesting part to me um because at Serotonin, we have kind of a um, lightning rod where oftentimes we're the ones that get hit first by these new innovative projects that are coming to us for help before they launch. Um, And so what we're seeing right now is a bunch of excitement around uh, Web3 Social, for example. Um, Social is a non-correlated asset. So it's not going to be correlated with the value of crypto markets. it's the idea that you should be able to own your own reputation and own your own following, and have that be portable across all the different social platforms that you're building on. So I had friends that built giant followings on Facebook, for example, five six years ago, millions of followers, and now nobody's on Facebook, and they can't transfer or convert those audiences. that are trapped, and I think in the near future, creators are only going to be willing to add value to a platform um, and bring their followers to a platform if if their following is going to be portable. Um, and Web3 is the best way to do that. So I see Lens Protocol by Ave working on that. And I see a bunch of other players working on it. And it's a great, it's a great problem and it's non-correlated. Another non-correlated thing um, that I've been seeing a bunch of is real world assets on chain. Um, we're going to see that with real estate. Roofstock did a very cool job selling the first single family home as an NFT. I think that's a game changer. Um, luxury goods are going on chain we're going to see nfts become receipts and certificates of provenance starting with really beautiful luxury high quality goods that already have always historically had certificates of authenticity but going down to uh, lower price goods because it's so cheap to create an nft might as well just use nfts to replace receipts And that's another set of non-correlated assets. Then also, we're going to see a lot of these NFT use cases, I think, around membership programs and rewards programs. So if you're buying a pair of sneakers or if you're buying a latte at starbucks which just launched this big web3 program you're not going to check the performance of crypto markets the same way that when you're buying you know a cup of coffee you don't check the performance of the dollar against the ruble against the wand. you may look at how much money is in your bank account but it's non-correlated with market conditions and so i think those programs also foster non-correlated assets finally i think um we're going to get some I th- actually two more things i think l2s um are going to be are going to be really interesting um we work with, with polygon um excited about a number of other l2 concepts as well especially as they're more consumer applications that don't require decentralization um, for every transaction um but that you can ra- rather like settle out i think that's interesting um and then I'm super fascinated by the Cosmos ecosystem. I think they have a they have a cool idea. Um, instead of legislating the L1 protocol wars ad infinitum, L1 protocol wars like are you building on Ethereum versus Solana versus Avalanche. Instead of that, the pioneering this concept that every DApp um, should have its own chain and should actually be built on its own customized L1 that all share. Um, Consensus mechanism and cryptographic security. I think that's just a paradigm shift um, on uh, on the way we've thought about building on L1s in the past. And I think it's going to be these paradigmatic shifts and and genuine innovation using the substrate of Web3 that takes us into the next market
0: cycle. Hundred percent. I'm I'm very interested in Cosmos. Actually, I I don't know if you are connected with them. I'd love to have them on the on on, on the pod. We'd be happy to connect you. That be um, there.
1: Is so much cool stuff going there. We work with um Osmosis, for example. Um Osmosis. Most people that who know Cosmos know it as one of the leading dexes or the leading dex in the Cosmos ecosystem. But they've actually built a ton more than that. Um, there, there are a ton of other great projects out there. Kepler. Um, the the wallet that's used in the Cosmos ecosystem is really excellent. I really like um, their interface and how it helps you stake and claim your staking rewards inside the
0: wallet. There's some really cool stuff there. You also mentioned Lens Protocol. We are integrating with Lens Protocol uh, on our platform, so that um, because we are we are building um, a profile section. So essentially, what we are building is the LinkedIn of the future. That's what that's how we see it. You know, Super we, cool. we want to really disrupt that uh, that area. But we are going with content first, not with profile and and chat first. You know, because the reason why we are going with content first is because we are attracting content creators first, you know, so we are focusing on bringing in content creators and, and, and um, you know, communities uh, like Real Vision, like, you know, um, uh, Zen Academy, uh, like Impact Theory, Overpriced Apex, and they are all using the platform right now. There's definitely a lot of super interesting things uh, happening. And I just can't wait for the broader market and, and the the wider ecosystem, discovering it. I just uh, had the team from uh, Starbucks on the podcast there. That's really interesting what they're doing. I think mm-hmm. a lot of other communities, other sorry, other companies are going to see that. That's the way to do it. Um, you know, that's that's the way to do it for a lot of big brands. Um, and I'm yeah, very excited about this space. I'm definitely going to get your book on Audible and listen to it. And uh, I'll also get a few of the, um, the physical copies to give away to our community. So thank you. So Fabulous. Much well, thank
1: you so much for having me and uh, so excited that you're going
0: to get to experience this book as well. I hope you enjoyed this interview with the wonderful Amanda Cassette. Be sure to pick up a copy of her book, Web3 Marketing, A Handbook, for the next internet revolution and give her a follow on twitter if you enjoyed this podcast be sure to subscribe to it on apple spotify or any other one of your favorite podcast channels and don't forget to give it a five-star rating and write a review the full interviews are also available on my youtube channel the Sumi Ariane show